Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and a CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today I'm bringing you Dr. Everett Weiss. He is general pediatrics by training. He was a former CMIO at Roswell Park Cancer Center and previously worked for Allscripts. And he's going to be talking to us today a little bit about the importance of knowing some financial stuff, the return on investment. So Everett, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. So if you would, tell us a little bit about how your journey started, how you got to be a CMIO. Well, what I really love about talking about these journeys is that they are not linear at all. I started off, as you had described, as a general pediatrician for five years. I really loved doing what practicing medicine, seeing patients, talking with families, educating them. And as I was continuing, there was this need and passion for the integration of technology into our practice. As I was beginning to work at our affiliated hospital, I had learned about this career in informatics and it became very appealing to me very quickly. So I started to do some volunteer work at Advocate Good Shepherd Hospital in the suburbs of Chicago and that fueled my passion to to continue in investigating that that area. So the next thing was as I started to network and talk with more and more people, I decided that it was time for me to go back to school, which was perhaps one of the scariest things that I did and I had to convince my wife that it was really important to me. She said that was my early mid-life career crisis and I was allowed <laughs> one. And so I went back to do some graduate work through the AMIA 10 by 10 program, which then would continue on through some graduate coursework to earn my certificate in biomedical informatics. At the same time, as I was doing more and more work at Advocate Good Shepherd, I really started to look towards what a full-time career in informatics would look like. At the time, I saw an opportunity to join Allscripts, the EHR vendor, and uh, I leapt at the opportunity. So we moved our family out to Burlington, Vermont for a year. I indoctrinated myself into the EHR vendor space, learned as much as I could about how EHR vendors think about technology and roll that out for clinicians. And then through the course of that, which was really invigorating, I continued to uh, explore my passion for being closer to the clinicians that were caring for patients and also being even closer to the patients that were receiving the care. So I started to look at CMIO opportunities in the healthcare delivery space. And once again, when the opportunity arose to come join Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, I left at that opportunity and it was just a natural progression. And so every single step in this journey has kind of built off of each other and has really served me well in having a very different perspective on how we use technology in healthcare. And today, looking at the next opportunity, the, the next step in that, that chapter in the book. So let's talk about finance and return on investment. Most CMIOs kind of get this and understand the importance of that getting return on investment and showing value. But 
up-and-coming informaticists may not have experienced this yet. Tell us a little bit about why it's important. Well, return on investment is so critically important if you're looking to do almost anything. And the reason is, is that resources are limited almost everywhere you go. Every healthcare organization is really looking at their bottom line budget, and there really has to be a strong rationalization for why you are interested in doing a certain project. So everything with technology seems very, very appealing at the outset, but ultimately, the organization needs to understand that the investment in that technology, in that process, in that project is ultimately going to have some value, some return on investment for the organization or any of its stakeholders. And stakeholders is a very broad term. It includes a lot of people. It's not just the people who are employed by the health system, but it's the patients, the caregivers, the community at large in which that health system is is serving. And so the healthcare system really has to appreciate and understand that there is a reason and value for doing such work. There is limited time, there's only 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and there's always a finite budget. And so you're always balancing that, and there's so much work to be done. So you really have to be able to demonstrate why one uh, piece of work is more important than another. Let's get a little more specific. So with The new project, you're going to be spending time, money, buying software perhaps up front. And then the CFO perhaps is going to expect a return on that or break even at least. How quickly in your organizations have you had that pressure to show that we're going to be able to get back our money? Very quickly. (laughs) So the truth is, is the first step in all of this is to really understand the budgeting process at your organization. So there's almost always a very defined process by which you're forward thinking and looking at the work that you're wanting to do in the coming year or even two. So if you're at the very beginning of the next cycle, you might be looking another year out. So it's really important to one, understand the processes that are in place in the organization to be able to jump into that budget process. The, the second thing is that you immediately have to start looking at, at the numbers. And return on investment is not an easy thing to, to do or to calculate. And sometimes it's very subjective too. One of the big challenges that we have in healthcare is just the temporal displacement of value to investment. And what I mean by that is, number one, oftentimes when we're talking about health outcomes, we are talking about something that we may not realize for two to five to 10, maybe even 20 to 30 years down downstream. And so we are looking at health patterns across populations that we may not realize to the largest extent for many, many, many years. The other thing that is really, really important is that when we're talking about technology projects, we are talking about things that have a two to three year life cycle. So you're talking about implementing something that's probably not going to really be relevant or around in two to three years. There's gonna be something even bigger and better. And so you're really talking about something that you're going to be investing money in that is going to be present for about two to three years or look very different in two to three years. And your return as far as if, it's re- if it 
heavily relating to health outcomes might not be for many, many, many years thereafter. And so it's, it's really important to be able to understand that up front. The other thing that I would just quickly add is that it's really, really important for the organization, and I would say it's important for the CMIO to really make sure that this is communicated to the organization, is that oftentimes the long-term cost of not doing something is often more expensive than doing something innovative or at a minimum sustaining in a very competitive healthcare market. And you could very quickly be left behind by not doing those things when, when they seem appropriate and valuable and good. You mentioned something interesting, which is that time factor. So if it's going to take us six months to implement it and then 18 months to get a return on investment and it's a piece of software that's not your core and it's going to generate a couple hundred thousand over its lifetime, I think that's a different story than if it's going to take you two weeks to implement and it'll generate a couple million dollars, then that's a no-brainer, those kinds of things. But there are some investments, like the investments that have been made in the EMR. Yes, that's millions and millions of dollars. I'm not sure there's an ROI in there, but there's many reasons why it had to be done. And that is an investment, hopefully, that's not irrelevant in three years, although it certainly will change. But over over that investment should last for, I'm hoping, decades with continued investment and improvements. So time time's an important factor there. So is it important? Do you have to be an MBA and calculate net present value or what do you what do you think? Well, I don't have an MBA and I have spoken to a lot of people who do have MBAs who are extraordinarily happy that they have that and have expressed that it has helped them to better understand different concepts in business. What I would say is that you don't need an MBA to understand the importance of net present value and total cost of ownership and other financial principles. And that those basic understandings of of how to speak and to reference those when you're looking at and talking about value is critically important. So for the CMIO who doesn't understand those concepts, I don't necessarily believe you need an MBA for that, but I definitely think that you should either talk to someone who has an MBA or just do some online learning and understand those concepts because they are so invaluable to being able to have those conversations with executive leaders in your organization. My days of calculating net present value by hand are long over. Once my MBA ended, I go and get the calculator online now and just plug in the numbers and it spits out the right answer for me. So yes, knowing how to calculate it is not required. But I think I agree with you that you should know what one is and be able to speak the language that your CFO is going to be speaking or your CEO, others on the executive team are going to have an interest or at least what kind of cash flows will come from this? What kind of revenues and what's the the expenses that are part of generating those revenues are? That's important, I think, for a CMIO to be able to, to show. So how did you learn about return on investment? Well, very simply, it's it's exactly as I described. It was really having this understanding that I needed to know about it and needed to understand it better to have those conversations. So I, I did learn some about this through my graduate work and through the pursuit of the board certification in informatics. 
But a lot of it really comes from reading about it and understanding different models, even in other industries, and then reapplying that in, in healthcare. I think one of the really unique things and one of the things that makes it very difficult is that there are so many variables that can contribute to determining value. And there's different weights or likelihoods of some of those things coming to fruition. So you might start to talk about value as it relates to prevention. The minute that you start talking about that, you have to understand what is the probability that a harmful event is going to happen? Or what are the probabilities that you are going to be able to reduce duplicative testing or secondary care that results from wrong treatments or missed diagnoses and things like that. There are so many different things to take into consideration that these calculations can be very overwhelming and very complex. And so sometimes more often than the actual number itself, which is easy for the CFO and others in their organization to, to really hold on to, it's really about telling the story. And if you can adequately tell the story that resonates with the organization, oftentimes that becomes your return on investment and justification for doing a certain. Now, there's a certain pitfall. There's a landmine, let's call it, out there that I want CMIOs to think about and get your opinion on this. The vendors will bring the ROI information for you. And there are always assumptions, guesstimates as to how many clicks will happen or how much volume is going through the machine or the software or whatever it is that you're doing. And sometimes those are very rosy expectations. So when a vendor comes to you and says, oh, yeah, this is a 10x ROI, uh, guaranteed, <laughs> what, what do you think? Well, it is it is very true. And, and sometimes that works in your favor when you're trying to really get something through. But but the truth is you, you really have to do your homework. So I always like to use those as starting points because oftentimes they are providing you some some metrics, some key performance indicators and other things that you can start to look at to create your own models and start to think about how you're going to tell that story about the return on investment. One of the nice things that happens with the, the, that information is you do get some generalization across the industry of like hospitals. So other healthcare systems that are hopefully similar to yours. Again, I use that really as a starting point and then I have to do my homework and then tell the story that is meaningful and relevant for our organization. If you just simply rely on the numbers that a vendor is going to, to provide you, you will certainly lose credibility with your organization. And, and that is a non-starter for getting projects off the ground. The vendors, if they come with, yes, we did the same project at a hospital system similar to yours uh, last year in this other state, and we think you're very similar to it and should expect a similar ROI, that gives me some comfort. I will use that kind of data. I agree with you, though. If this is a startup and they're saying this is the ROI that you're going to get, really look at that with a grain of salt. I want to give a slight twist on the ROI because we've been talking about it in terms of, okay, we're going to go out and buy something. I also think it's important for the CMIO to demonstrate a return on the investment that the system is making in them. So whatever salary they're paying that CMIO, they are looking for a return on investment. They may not phrase it as such, but 
as a CMIO, has, did that have any impact on you in the projects you did take on or in the work that you th- thought was important and prioritized? Well, I think that that is a really great point, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Mark, because fundamentally, regardless of what your job is at an organization, you should always be looking at how are you bringing value to the organization. So your own return on investment is critical to your success at that organization. And so you always want to be looking at the ways that you are advancing and furthering the the organization's needs and how you're aligning with the organization goals and, and strategic objectives. So for the CMIO in particular, you're always really looking at how are you continuing to bring value and also advancing the organization in the digital age. And how are you transforming healthcare through the use of technology and bringing that to your organization? What I love about going to conferences and networking and reading is that I hear all of these different things that are going on in the world. And then oftentimes I'm sitting in the audience and I'm thinking, wow, that was great. How am I going to make that better at my organization? So you you learn, and one of the things that's so important when you're listening to these presentations is not just what did they do, but what were their lessons learned and, and what would they have done differently? But then you're synthesizing that in the context of all these other ideas that you have, plus also now tailoring it to your organization. And when you bring that back to your organization, the whole point of that is so that you are advancing the organization. And that is the value that the CMIO can bring. You had brought Colin Bannis in to, for one of your earlier podcasts, and right. he introduced the concept of the CMIO version one, two, three. And there really has been this progression of what the CMIO does. And it's continuing to evolve. And arguably, not to recap, because I would encourage your your listeners to go listen to all of your podcasts because this is such an exceptional platform and forum. So I I really am appreciative of that. I I would take that and say, we're actually now looking to the CMIO 4.0. And so the CMIO 4.0 is really that leader who's starting to think about how are we transforming healthcare? How are we thinking about different models of delivering care to patients and populations. It goes beyond just population health and analytics, but we're now talking about consumerism, healthcare consumerism, and how do we start to look at people in our community and what are the touch points with our healthcare system, even before they become a patient. So the CMIO needs to always be looking at kind of what is the next version of what they are going to be doing because long gone are the days for most organizations that we are implementing systems. There's still a few that are doing some implementations and there's still optimization work going on and there will always be optimization work going on. But the true value right now is thinking about how are we using these technologies, the EHR included, to really transform healthcare and start to introduce digital technologies to consumers of healthcare in our communities. So I like this show to be tactical. I always like to give, see if we can find a couple of points that we can give out there that someone can take away and say, yes, I can, I can start on something like that now. So 
there's some projects that I have thought about. I'll throw one or two out. Let's have you throw one or two out about what do you look at that's going to have a return on investment? What kind of projects have you done? And I'll throw the first one out here. I've worked on clinical denials. I work with our utilization review doctor, and we will look and say, okay, why did this procedure get denied? And so we had a patient that came in, they came in as a direct admit, went to the OR the next day, went home, had a great case, everything was fine, got denied. Why? There was no admission order on the chart. The order set was missing it. And so never got put in. Insurance company said, we're not paying it. So there is a direct impact to the bottom line when we can fix those kinds of things. Now you name one. What do you think? Have you got anything in mind where you have found a project that's given you a return on investment? Well, I... I think that very similar project, we actually were in the midst of what we call the chemotherapy transformation project. And one of the elements of that project was really looking at our prior authorization processes. And when you look at all the reasons why there are denials and why there are delays in payment, and then a lot of the rework that has to be done to solidify those those payments and reimbursements. There are many, many economies of, of scale there. Another project that really stands out, because that one was very similar to the one, the one you gave, was we actually implemented a scheduling system that was based on machine learning. And so what it did was it was generating suggested and recommended templates for our infusion center so that we could maximize the amount of time that patients were in chemotherapy chairs and minimize the time that the chairs were empty. We also wanted to make sure that we spread out the burden of work across the workday and be between all of our nursing and clinician resources from first thing in the morning to the end of the day. Instead, you can imagine without doing a lot of this work and using the technology to generate these recommended scheduling templates, you have a very high burden of work in the middle of the day and less so at the very beginning and less so at the very end. So it's a typical kind of bell curve you can imagine. But in taking this like Tetrix-like model where you start to fill these different blocks based on your historical scheduling and knowledge of what kind of patients are going to be having different treatments and the duration of those infusions for those different treatments, you can now use technology to create much more intelligent scheduling templates that allow you to maximize all the resources that you have in-house. And that also applied to our pharmacy team because when you're talking about an infusion center, you're also talking about the preparation and mixing of drugs and also the timeliness of mixing those things. So are you preparing these drugs the, the day before, the morning of, and how how is all of that getting organized? So there was huge demonstrated return on investment that we put forth to our executive leadership in promoting that investment in that application. You mentioned scheduling templates and 
spend. It triggered something in my mind that it's not always about cutting costs. If you can drive volume, if you can use the data, the analytics to find patients who are lost to follow-up that get brought back in, they're due for colonoscopies and you do a campaign, you're driving volume but delivering great patient care at the same time. When you find those kind of wins, those are very, very popular. And cutting costs isn't always as exciting as going out there and, and saving lives by preventing colon cancer. So I encourage CMIOs, do those kinds of projects. If it fires you up, don't forget about the other ones. So this one, and my doctors don't get terribly excited about severity of uh, illness indexes, but when your mortality rates show up as being higher than they're supposed to be, our health system is in one where we get penalized based upon mortality rate. But if only our doctors documented a little bit better, well, our severity of index would actually reflect how sick our patients are, and their mortality is probably appropriate for what we say our patients are in terms of their illness. So there was a recent patient that came in, they had metastatic cancer, the tumor eroded into the uh, blood vessel and the patient had a GI bleed and died. Now, the coders coded it GI bleed. If they had coded it as metastatic cancer, then it gets excluded from our mortality index. It's an expected mortality, so to speak. So those kinds of things. Helping doctors with documentation is something that CMIOs do and can have a return on investment. How about you? You got another one? Absolutely. I, I Well, first, this is such a critical area. And sometimes it's the low-hanging fruit that is the most easily understandable and can yield that return on investment most quickly. Again, there's other parts of what you described that also are so, so important because when we look at value-based care and all of these contracts with our payers in the community, we absolutely need to understand how are we measuring these metrics that are going to define that. And your example couldn't even be more important, particularly at a comprehensive cancer center, where our patients have a complexity, a severity of illness that is significantly higher than, than that in the general community. So when we are comparing our metrics across the community and having those conversations with our payers, we need mechanisms to be able to describe that in our documentation or in our structured discrete elements in the EHR. And the challenge is, is to do that while also not increasing the burden on our colleagues, our peers, our friendly physicians who are doing that work. Because while it is important to the health system, you are just sharing or transferring that burden to another person downstream. And, and our clinicians, they do great work and they're, they know that they're taking care of complicated patients, but the ability to document that in, in the EHR becomes very cumbersome. So, so I think it's a great example. I'm gonna throw out another one. I'm gonna lump them together, but I have found doing projects around variability in care. So Dr. A uses a lot of this really expensive drug. Dr. B uses the less expensive drug and the outcomes are similar. 
Now it's very difficult to get outcome data, so it's, sometimes it's difficult to do these projects, but you'll see it done a lot in the OR, why Dr. A is using this Super Stapler 2030, whereas the other one's using the cheap um, Vicryl stitch. And so I think you will be able to show great return on investment if you can help reduce variability in care. And that is something CMIOs can do. You can do it through order sets. You can do it through alerts. You can do it through just by talking to doctors. But the CMIOs know where the data is. And they know how to look at that data to find the value. And the other area I'm going to throw out there is reducing length of stay. If you mention that you have a project that could reduce length of stay, you'll usually get your vice president of medical affairs to do a backflip. And if that something like that might be, how do we return results back to the physician? So the patient has a rule out MI, they're in for their three enzymes and they get a stress test. And then they sit in a bed for a couple hours waiting for the doctor to check the result. But if you do a push notification, ah, doctor gets the result, maybe I'll send that patient home by lunch. So those are kinds of, of things that have a definite return on investment. Now I'm going to throw the last one back to you. This is the most controversial one. There are CMIOs who go out there and say, I'm going to make my doctors more efficient. They will be able to see patients in less time. They'll be able to get through their in-basket. They'll be able to have their notes completed. Is there a return on investment on that? It's a, one of these things we call a soft ROI rather than directly dollars that you can go and spend. What are your thoughts? Well, let me first say that I am so glad that you brought this up because this is, it is a very controversial topic and largely in part because you've got to look at what is the objective of creating efficiencies with your healthcare team. And the reason I say this is this, because there is definitely value in creating efficiency. Everyone wants to do things more efficient. No one likes to waste time. No one likes to do repetitive work. No one likes to do things that have no value. The real question is, are you doing this in the spirit of freeing up time during the day so that they could just see more patients and increase their volume? Or are you doing this in the spirit of freeing up their time so that now you have better work-life balance and these physicians can finish their notes during, I'm using air quotes, regular business hours for physicians, but so that they can return to their families in the evening and, and do things with their family or participate in their hobbies or, or whatever it might be. So, so when we talk about efficiencies, particularly as it relates to our practicing clinicians, we have to understand that efficiency is always a great thing, but what is the goal that we are trying to achieve? If it's just efficiency, there can be some downstream consequences that are quite negative to our practicing doctors and nurses. So ultimately, it's important to look at not just the process and what you're achieving, but what is the goal and also knowing where to stop because the efficiency in documentation and in interacting with the EHR is very, very important. But I'm a firm believer that when we are talking about physician burnout and wellness, one of the goals is to not add more work to our physicians, but ultimately to free them up so that they have some additional professional job satisfaction and fulfillment.
I have found that it depends upon your financial people, your CFO in particular, about whether they buy into the theory of making doctors more efficient has a return on investment. There are some out out there who are going to say, yes, if we can prevent a doctor from retiring early, if we can prevent a doctor from leaving, if we can prevent a doctor from committing suicide, then there's definitely return on investment in those activities. Not every CFO believes that. Some of them only do return on investment, that is dollars that you can spend in the bank. And if we do make it easier for a doctor to get home earlier, there's no dollars coming into the system. If you can make it so that they can see an extra two patients a day, great, that does have actual dollars. But I have found when I've gone and asked for resources, I need additional trainers to do a program. I don't get a lot of enthusiasm from the C-suite when I'm pitching that to say we're going to make it easier for doctors to do the work so they can get home sooner. I created something called the Home for Dinner program, and that's what it was all right. about, was getting those doctors home. So. I have found, though, when I say I need a team so that I can teach the doctors how to code better so they don't get denials and so that their notes are able to stand up against an audit, then I get resources. So you got to learn the language of your system. There are some CEOs, particularly if they're physician CEOs, who will get it and they will support those kind of activities. I think it's it does depend upon the system you're in. There was a great article, and I will look for it and, and share it with you, and perhaps you can post it on your website, that really actually helped to quantify the return on investment with regard to wellness programs and reduction of burnout. And many, uh, so I should say some of the factors involved in that were looking at attrition and early retirement, among many other things. These things do have numbers associated with it. And so even for the, the organization that is not very keen on training and on wellness, you can actually distill this down to some numbers that are actually quite impressive when you do those calculations. So I will look for that resource. I think it's a great one that I came across. And we actually ran some of those numbers, and it's pretty Im impressive. Everett, I've kept you over the time that I said I would, but this has been such a great conversation. I wanted to keep it going. But let me just wrap it up by asking if people wanted to reach out to you and connect more on this topic, what's the best way to reach you? The best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. Perfect. So I think we'll wrap it up there. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.